what a night. Thank you so much for this Christ-exalted music and Brother Bob for the powerful preaching. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah chapter 8, and I'm going to begin to read in verse 20. Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. And tonight I'm preaching on this subject, the saddest words in the Bible. The saddest words in the Bible. The book of Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. And the Bible says the harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people I am hurt, I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? God in heaven, give me a fresh touch. May I not flaunt flesh, but Lord, may I speak the truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. I must decrease. You must increase, Jesus. I confess that the devil is a defeated foe, O Lord. And the blood of Jesus Christ will never lose its power. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Jeremiah was probably the saddest preacher in the Bible. In fact, he said in verse 1 of chapter 9, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears. So what I've read to you tonight are the saddest words from the saddest sermon preached by the saddest preacher in the Bible. And the saddest words in the Bible are at the end of verse 20. We are not saved. There are three truths that I want to bring to your attention tonight in these scriptures. I want you to notice, first of all, that we have a passing opportunity. A passing opportunity. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Well, why weren't they saved? Well, I believe they weren't saved because of a false assurance. Jeremiah was preaching the truth. He was telling them that the judgment of God was on the horizon. The armies of Babylon were encamped against Israel. They were the instrument of God's wrath. And the only way of escape was to repent and to turn to God. But there were other prophets raised up by the devil, false prophets, And he describes their message in verse 11 of chapter 8. He says, they said, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And he said, their message only helped the people superficially. It tickled their ears, but it did not transform their heart. These false prophets did not tell them what they needed to hear. They told the people what they wanted to hear. Everything's going to be okay. Your problems are possibilities. God's going to turn your scars into stars. Something good 
is going to happen to you. Jeremiah saying, turn or burn, it's heaven or hell, repent or perish. But these false prophets say, peace, peace. Don't listen to the negative preacher. When I went up to the Moody Bible Institute out of high school to prepare for the ministry, my roommate for the first two years that I was there was from Dallas. And I remember him giving me his testimony about how he came to know Christ. He said that he grew up in a very affluent, it wasn't a Baptist church, but a very rich and affluent mainline Protestant church in Dallas. And he said he got under conviction and he realized he was lost. And he went to the pastor of this large, prosperous church. And he said, Pastor, I need to get saved. And he said, the pastor said to him, You're a good boy. Do the best you can, and you'll make it. Peace, peace, when there was no peace. He said he went to another church. And he said at least they gave an altar call. He said he came forward. He told the people at the altar, he said, I need to get saved. They said, no, you need to get baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. He said, I think you're getting the cart before the horse. I need to get saved. He said, finally, he went home, and he got his Bible, and he found in the Bible the plan of salvation. And he said he led himself to faith in Jesus Christ over the voices of the false prophets that were saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. And sometimes we preach that message to ourselves. You sit in a church service, the pastor of the evangelist preaches the plan of salvation. You know that you just walked an aisle, you signed a card, you've done the best you can, you've got Christ in your head, but you don't have Jesus in your heart. And when the Spirit of God begins to convict you and you feel that tug and you need to trust Jesus, you say, now wait a minute, stop. I'm okay. My name is on a church roll. I come from a long line of Baptists. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. They were lost because of a false assurance. They were also lost because of self-righteousness. Now, when he preached that judgment was coming, and he said these Babylonian armies are gathered out of here, and they're getting ready to invade, and this is God's judgment on us for our sins. We've rebelled and rejected God, and God is sending this army. They are a hammer of judgment in the fist of a wrathful God. The Scripture reveals here what they did. In verse 14 of chapter 8, it says, Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves and let us enter the fortified cities and let us be silent there, for the Lord our God has put us to silence. In other words, they said, We've built these wall cities. What we're going to do is we're going to get behind those walls. We're going to shut and bar the doors. And these walls we've built with our own hands will protect us from the armies of Babylon. In other words, the works of our own hands will turn back the wrath of God against our sins. And here's the lie of Satan. 
that through religion and self-effort and doing the best you can, you can appease and turn back the wrath of God against your sins. I'm telling you right now, the only thing that can turn away the wrath of God against your sins is what Jesus did for you on the cross. Jesus died on the cross as the sinner's substitute, and he shed his blood to pay our sin debt in full. And it is only the blood of Jesus Christ that can appease that can turn back the wrath of God against our sins. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were lost because of self-righteousness. I'll tell you another reason they were lost. They were lost because of procrastination. They just never got around to it. He says there in verse 20, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. In the life of Israel, there were two harvests. There was the main harvest, which was the spring harvest. And they would lay in store grain and food that would carry them through even the hardness of the winter that was yet to come. But if the spring harvest failed, There was one more harvest to bring in the summer fruits. At the end of the summer, there was a summer harvest. So if the spring harvest failed, there was one more opportunity to gather in a crop. If that second harvest, that summer harvest failed, all hope was gone and the people would starve to death. And this is the way he applied it. The opportunity to be saved has come and it is gone. The opportunity to get right with God has passed. The final harvest has come and it's gone. And God has shut the door. One day Noah stood preaching in the door of the ark and all of his family was on board with the animals and he gave that last invitation and he turned and he walked in and God shut the door. And never again was there an opportunity to board that ark. And the Lord warned that there is a sin that knows no pardon. God's patience can be exhausted. There is a deadline in the sands of eternity. And when you constantly reject Christ, there will be that moment when you reject him for the last time and the Spirit abandons you to your depravity and your lostness and never again will you have the desire to be saved. So the Bible says through sheer procrastination, people die in their sins, lost forever. So I wanted to point out first of all in these scriptures We have a passing opportunity. And if you have the slightest desire to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have not stepped across that deadline that God's put out there. There is still the opportunity for you to be saved. But yesterday is history and tomorrow may never come. And that's why if you're going to get saved, you better be getting saved tonight. But not only do we have a passing opportunity in these scriptures, There's a second observation I'd like to make with you. I want you to notice that we have a persecuted believer. A persecuted believer. 
Now, one of the great heroes of the Bible to me is the prophet Jeremiah. And I believe he exemplifies the way we are to live in perilous times. If there's any man in the Bible that demonstrates how people should live at the edge of eternity, in those moments that precede the second coming of Jesus, as the storm clouds of God's judgment gather on the horizon, if there's one man in the Bible that shows us the way to conduct our lives, I believe it's the prophet Jeremiah. He amazes me. Tell you what amazes me about this man. I'm amazed by his foresight. By his foresight. The Bible says in verse 21, and these are his words. He says, for the hurt of the daughter of my people I am hurt. Well, what's he talking about, the hurt? He's talking about them going over into Babylon as captives and slaves. In fact, he's already seen it. He sees what's coming. He describes it. In verse 19, he says, listen, the voice, the cry of the daughter of my people from a far country. What is it that makes him stand up and preach to these people who will not listen to him, who mock him, who make fun of him, who joke about him? They even put him in jail. In fact, there was one day when he had already written out his resignation to the Lord. He said, I've had all of this I want. I preach my heart out to them. I tell them the truth and they ridicule me and they're listening to those false prophets who wouldn't know God Almighty if they got hemmed up with him in a closet and hit him over the head with a Bible as big as a ping pong table. And here I am pouring out my heart and preaching the word of God. And what's it got me? I'm sitting here in jail. So I'm going to quit. You ever been to that place in your life in ministry? So discouraged, so down, you preach the truth, your crowd gets smaller. You preach the truth, people get madder. Somebody across town, they're not preaching the truth, they're giving talks, and people are coming by the multiplied thousands. And sometimes you sit there and say, I want to give up. I'm sick and tired of doing my best for the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing no visible results. But he says, I couldn't quit because the word of God was burning in my bones. Why can I not quit? I have been preaching the word of God since I was 17 years old. I've been pastoring the same church now going on for 33 years. I could be at home tonight. Watching a rerun of Andy Griffith. Drinking a Diet Dr. Pepper. Spending a little time with my family. What would make me get on an airplane and come to Texas to preach on a weeknight? What makes me get up there every Sunday morning and preach twice my guts out before that congregation over all these years? What motivates me? I see what's coming. I know what's coming. And I'm telling you death is coming. And I'm telling you judgment is coming. And I'm telling you Jesus is coming. I know what the Bible says, brother. I know that this thing happening with Russia and China joining up and the Iranians and the North Koreans joining up against Israel and Hamas attacking Israel and Hezbollah attacking Israel, which is the apple of God's eye. They say that they're going to destroy the nation of Israel, but I'm telling 
telling you, they're not going to do it because God says, I'll bless those that bless you. And I'll curse those that curse you. And before they can drop an atomic bomb on Israel, King Jesus Christ is going to rip open the eastern sky. And he's coming back in glory and majesty and judgment. And the people out there need to be warned. Jesus is coming. Judgment is coming. Christ is coming. The rapture is coming. And you better get ready, man. I'm amazed by his foresight. Tell you something else, I'm amazed by his feelings. Notice he says, for the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. And I I don't want to be a cold preacher or a cold servant of God. I don't want the ministry in my Christian life to ever become a rut and ever become a routine. I don't ever want to get over getting saved. I don't ever want to get over the fact that I was blind, but now I see. That I was lost, but now I'm found. That I was going to hell, but now I'm going to heaven. That I was groping in darkness, but now I'm living in the light. I don't ever want to overlook the fact that my body, which was dead in sin, is now the temple of God, and the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus now calls my heart His home. I don't ever want to get over the fact that I was lost doomed and damned to a devil's hell but the long arm of God's mercy reached down and grabbed a hold of that that stirs me up that moves me the Holy Spirit that is in me rises up and bears witness with music and bears witness with preaching and bears witness with fellow Christians that I am a child of God Man, I need a little feeling in my Christianity. I gotta have a little unction in my gumption. I gotta have a little fizz in my Pepsi Cola, man. I I don't wanna be a dried up, dead as four o'clock on a government job, religious professional. I want God to put a wick on my head and a wick between my toes and light me on both ends and Let me have a Holy Ghost explosion right in the middle. I want to be so on fire for... Listen to me tonight. I want to be so on fire for God when the cold water committee gets together and they get that bucket of cold water and they sneak up on me and they throw that water on me. I want to be so red hot when it hits me it turns to steam, scalds them, and scares the devil out of them. I want to have feeling in my faith. Tell you something else, I'm amazed by his faithfulness. I'm amazed by his faithfulness. Now now notice he says, I am mourning. And literally in verse 21, he's saying, I'm wearing the dark black clothes of mourning. He's the only one that was. He was the only one repenting. He was the only one responding To the voice of God. And you know what he was saying? If nobody else here is going to repent, I'm going to repent. If nobody nobody else is going to get right with God, I'm going to get right with God. I pastored one sophisticated church in my ministry. And I went to this church. It's not that they were bad. We didn't fit. 
They were so sophisticated. I came from a gospel-preaching, warm-hearted church and came into this affluent, sophisticated church many, many years ago before I went to North Jacks. And I started getting little notes unsigned in the offering place. And one of them said, you sound like a loud, blaring commercial. And if you don't tone it down, we're going to do to you what we do to our TVs when them commercials come in. We're going to tune you out and turn you off. And I got intimidated as a young pastor. You know, why are you sweating? We have air conditioning. I mean, sophisticated. You're supposed to wear a, 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 a light blue shirt and a power tie. Make sure you button your coat. And if you've got a two-button coat, you, you button the top button, not both buttons and never leave it unbuttoned and if you got a three button coat you button the center button or the top two button and if you're a TV preacher and you got 19 buttons I don't know what you were supposed to do <laughs> so man I'm trying to keep my coat buttoned in a half a quarter of an inch of my shirt there and my tie straight and not sweat and modulate my voice you know they said I was frying hearing aids and blowing out pacemakers and <laughs> I had a friend Send out tapes in those days. He said, what happened to you? He said, I was listening to your messages and all of a sudden, you just got all reserved. And I said, that crowd, I let them intimidate me. Could I just pause right here? Don't ever let that religious group of Pharisees that are out there intimidate you out of the joy of your salvation. Don't do it. But you know, one day, I got to thinking about how lost I used to be. I mean, I so far out there in the panhandle of Texas is a miracle of God. God ever found me to save me, and he saved me. And I, and I got to think about the fact that when he, he saved me, he, he welded shut the doors of hell behind me. And he opened up, I can see it up there, a gate of pearl in front of me. And I can see a street of gold. And I can see that Jesus said, I'm going to a place where there's no arthritis and there's no bursitis and there's no gingivitis, no committee meetings. And I got to thinking about the fact that I was going to hell and I'm going to heaven and I've got heaven on the way to heaven and I've been washed in the blood of Jesus and when Jesus looks at me through the blood of his son he's not looking at a sinner he's looking at a saint and I got so stirred up I loosened my tie I unbuttoned my coat and I said I don't get a rip I don't give a rip if anybody else here is going to get excited I'm going to get excited I don't care if nobody else is going to stand up on their tiptoes and preach like there's no tomorrow. I'm going to preach like there's no tomorrow. I don't care if anybody else wants to get revival. I'm going to get revived. I don't care if anybody else wants to get excited. I'm going to get excited. And he was faithful. And he just kept preaching, even though not one person listened to him. Well, let me tell you something. Something else that just uh, really amazes me, not just his foresight, not just his feelings, not, not just his faithfulness, but his fruitfulness. You say fruitfulness. He never saw himself as a fruitful servant of God, as a fruitful believer. 
He says in verse 21, he says, astonishment has taken hold of me. And in the Hebrew, it describes something that's bound to something else by cords. He says, I've just been gripped by astonishment. He said, I look at these false preachers. I can't believe anybody listened to them. I think about what I'm preaching to these people. And I don't understand why not one of them, not one of them will respond. Now, I want you to get this. Do you understand that Jeremiah, called of God, he preached his whole life what God told him to preach, and he had not one convert. He preached his whole life that the Babylonians were going to invade and carry the people of God away into exile. And he had to stand and watch it come to pass with a broken heart. No wonder he said, my head is a fountain of tears. But did you know that he was very fruitful? God used him mightily. And did you know that God used him exactly the way he had determined he was going to use him. You know, the years passed. And uh, those Jewish folks were over there in exile. In fact, 70 years passed. But one day, a prophet named Daniel. It's recorded in the book of Daniel, chapter 9 and verse 2. A prophet named Daniel was reading the book, the prophecy of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 25, it says that the exile would last for 70 years. And he began to do the math. And he thought, it's been 70 years. It's time to go home. So he began to pray because of the words of the prophet Jeremiah. And you know what the Bible says in the book of Ezra, chapter 1? The Persian king who now has conquered Nebuchadnezzar, he now rules Babylon and those Jews. It says that Cyrus, the Persian king, was stirred by God. He wasn't even saved. Stirred by God to decree that the Israelites should go back to Jerusalem, rebuild their temple. It says to fulfill the words of the prophet Jeremiah. And he not only decreed that they should go home, he took up a love offering for them before they left town to help them finance their building project when they got there to fulfill the words of Jeremiah. So God just wants you to be faithful. God just wants you to keep on singing. He Just keep on preaching, keep on praying, just keep on witnessing, just keep on serving, just keep on keeping on, just keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't worry about the results. I'm telling you, it may be after you're dead and gone that you see the fruit come to pass, but I'm telling you, God's going to bring it to pass. He's not called you to be famous. He's called you to be faithful. He's not called you to be successful. He's called you to bear fruit, and the fruit he bears is the fruit he bears through you. So just abandon yourself to God and let Jesus be himself through you. Oh, my goodness. A passing opportunity. A persecuted believer. There's a third observation I want to make from these scriptures. We've got a precious medicine. The Bible says in verse 22, is there no balm in Gilead? Uh, Is there no physician there? 
Now, when he asks that question, he's not asking it like this. Hey, ma'am, could you come over here just a minute? I need to ask you something. There's something I don't know. Do you know, is there a bomb in Gilead? Uh, hey, hey, sir, uh, would you stop just a minute? I, got, I, need, I need to ask you a question. Would you happen to know, she doesn't know, I don't know, is there a bomb in Gilead? That's not the way he, he asked that question. He is saying, is there not a bomb in Gilead? Now let me explain to you what the bomb of Gilead was. The bomb of Gilead is said to be a sap that was extracted from a particular kind of tree. They would put a gash, they would cut into that tree. And from the cut place, that sap would ooze and they would collect it. And it was said to be a cure for snake bite. And what he's saying, is there not medicine for what ails us? Is there not a doctor, a physician, who makes house calls, who can heal us? What is the balm of Gilead? The balm of Gilead that cures snake bite. Because you've been snake bit. And I've been snake bit. But that old serpent, the devil... And our bloodstream is poisoned in the human race by sin. But I've got good news, folks. There's a cure. Because from the bleeding brow and the bleeding back and the bleeding hands and the bleeding feet and the bleeding side flows the balm of Gilead. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It cures us of snake bite and heals us. And Dr. Jesus is in the room tonight to save those who reach out to him. Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist of the 19th century, was preaching a crusade one night in Chicago. And as the meeting, the service progressed, he saw a man standing over there. And the Spirit of God spoke to his heart and said he needed to go talk to that man about his soul. So he slipped off the platform, went over there and said, Sir, are you a Christian? Are you saved? And the man said, No. He said, Why don't you get saved tonight? He said, Well, I'm going to get saved. I need to get saved. But I'm not ready tonight. I'm not ready tonight. But I'm, I promise I'm going to get saved. And Dwight L. Moody tried to explain to him that you only have tonight. You only have today. You shouldn't put it off. Well... Sometime later, Dwight O. Moody got word that that man was sick and uh, desperately sick. And he went to his home on the other side of Chicago and said, are you ready to get saved now? And the man said, well, now I need to get saved and I'm going to get saved. But if I get saved now, they're just going to say I got saved because I'm sick. And that's not a motive for me to get saved. So I, I'm, I'm, I tell you what, if when I get well... I'm going to buy a fruit farm over in Michigan. And, and when, I get, when, when I get well and I move, I'm going to get saved. Well, the man got better. And, and the man did just what he said. He bought a fruit farm over in Michigan. But he was stricken again with illness and he was dying. And somebody got word to Dwight L. Moody, that man is dying. He got in a boat, went across Lake Michigan, went out to that farm, walked into that farmhouse, walked into that bedroom where that man lay dying. And when that man looked up and saw him, he said, why are you here? Who called for you? And Dwight L. Moody said, I came 
to see if you're ready to get saved. He said, you're too late. You're too late. He said, well, the thief on the cross got saved at the 11th hour. He said, the thief on the cross got saved the first opportunity he had. He said, I've had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and I've said, no, 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 no. And he said, you're too late. And Dwight L. Moody pled with him to get saved, and he wouldn't. And as he was breathing his last breath, he was mumbling. And Dwight L. Moody thought, what's he saying? And so he put his ear down to that man's mouth. And over and over, the man was saying, the harvest is past. The summer is ended, and I'm not saved. The harvest is past. The summer is ended, and I'm not saved. Dwight L. Moody said, we took his Christless body. We wrapped it in a Christless burial shroud. We put it in a Christless casket. And we buried him in a Christless grave. And he went into a Christless eternity. All because he said, tomorrow. Tomorrow's not the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Now I want to ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes. Just a moment, we're going to have some music. There's two parts to this invitation. I want us all to stand. Everyone's standing. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Whether you're in the balcony or in this main floor, the pastor's coming to take his place and the other staff members. If you're not sure if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven. I want you to go to the pastor and one of the staff and say, I'm not sure if I died tonight that I'd go to heaven. I need to get saved. If you're one of these folks like I was that joined the church, was baptized, but was not saved and got saved later. If you're like I was in that lost religious condition, would you come tonight and say, I'm a church member, but I'm, I'm, I'm not putting this off anymore. I, Pastor, I need to get saved tonight. Would you come tonight? Would you come and say, I, I need to trust Christ as my Savior? Somebody here has been saved, but you never followed the Lord in believer's baptism by immersion to show that you're a believer. Would you come and begin, begin your Christian life right? This is what's holding you back. You've not followed the Lord in scriptural baptism. That's the first part of the invitation. Here's the second part. Would you come to this altar? And would you sit or stand or kneel? And say, God, tonight I am, I'm committing that I will be faithful. Lord, I may not feel talented. I may not even feel sometimes effective. But no matter what, God, whether I see results or I see no results, Lord, I'm telling you tonight, you can count on me until the trumpet sounds. I will be faithful. Whether it's faithful to the choir, faithful to teach those little boys and girls in that Bible study, faithful to work with the students, faithful to go to the nursing home, faithful to continue to intercede for your prodigal son and daughter. God, I will be faithful. Holy Spirit of God. Move in this invitation time. Bring us to the end of ourselves. Pour out the spirit of revival on this congregation. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen.